Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Who's taking care of your menagerie when you go to Europe? Can the same person care for dogs and chickens and lizards and a bunny? (laughs) Yes. Well, um, Violet's nanny and her wife are staying in the house and they're taking care of, I mean, everyone. I didn't even tell you we have two new frogs. It's so much, Liz. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in the backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Ojai, right outside LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we are discussing what's been revealed about us now that we are not buried in work. Then we've got a special guest, fellow showrunner and author Rashid Newson is here to talk about his excellent new novel, My Government Means to Kill Me. And then Rashid is hanging around because he has a fantastic Zoom-related Hollywood hack. Okay, Sarah, it is time for From the Treadmill Desk of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week it's What is revealed about us when we're not working a lot? Yes. And this was a conversation you and I were having the other day that was quite illuminating. (laughs) And it's actually, for me, the combo of we're not working a lot and our kids are at camp. Yes. Which talk about just a completely different reality we're living for these two weeks, you know? And what I realized, I was like, wow, it's just everything feels so odd. And what this time has revealed about me, unfortunately, is that I feel like, this is the metaphor, I feel like, you know, those air dancers at the car wash or the car dealership? Yes, the giant blow up. Yes, and their arms, you know, and everyone looks and then the air stops and they go, pull. (laughs) straight to the ground. I feel like without work and without Violet, I'm one of those air dancers without air. Like I was just like, what am I doing with myself? All that's left is like a to-do list. Mm. I just feel like I'm a walking to-do list. So I guess the first step is (laughs) identifying the the problem. problem. (laughs) This has been the impact of the pandemic is just really so much of 
the things that I value about myself just have not been prioritized. So Right, because if I think of you, I think, well, Sarah, she'll be spinning, she'll be knitting, she'll be hiking, she'll be doing some other craft project I can't even imagine. I have started decorative mending, I will say. (laughs) But so it makes me sad. I want you to get back to you. I want your your air dancer full and flowing, lady. (laughs) With all kinds of things, yes. As do I. I have been catching up on TV shows. I feel like I've like completely dropped out of pop culture for the last like five years. I have been binging a lot of shows, which has been really fun, and reading a lot of really good books. So that's good. Now, Liz, what about you? What has this time revealed about you? Sarah, what's weird is I sort of feel the opposite. I feel like And not so much Jack being gone, but not having work, but a little bit Jack being gone. I almost feel like I'm myself. Uh. I'm connecting to Adam, talking to him. We also went away for a few days, which really gave us time to connect. I feel like I look at myself and I realize during when I'm working a lot, I kind of can just shut down even when I'm not working like then Mm. I just want to sit on the couch in my office and zone out and not connect and so what it really shows me is I need to even when working take that time to talk to Adam take the time to sit with Jack and talk and just connect to my family who obviously bring me the most joy in life But when I'm stressed, it just feels like too much. Right. So I kind of feel like I found myself again, and I just need to keep it going, no matter what, which is hard. It is. Yes. But again, identify the problem. Yeah. Now you've identified it. And I need to know going into our next work period, which will happen, that once again, I need to not just shut down. I need to stay engaged. Right. And the good thing about that is they say with kids, if you just give them 10 minutes of focused attention a day without any distraction, it's not that much. Like, it doesn't take that much to feel connected to people. More is good. Don't get me wrong. Of course, Sarah, more of the issue is me getting Jack to agree to talk to me (laughs) for 10 minutes. But I will work on that. I will force him to have mom time. Yes, this is true. Children need to cooperate. (laughs) with our desires to to connect. Okay, coming up, Rashid Newsom joins us to talk about his new novel, My Government Means to Kill Me. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Selling a little... (laughs) 
or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay it's time for an interview with our great friend rashid newson rashid is a television drama writer and an author along with his writing partner tj brady he's worked on several drama series such as the shy narcos animal kingdom shooter and the hundred among others rashid is currently an executive producer and co-showrunner of bel air Rashid is also the author of the novel My Government Means to Kill Me, which comes out on August 23rd and is available to pre-order now wherever you get books. We met Rashid when we joined the staff of Lie to Me. Rashid and TJ were staff writers, which is the lowest level of writer. It was their first job, and we knew right away they were superstars, Sarah, and we were right. Yes, we were. <laughs> Rashid, we are so excited to have you here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, I'm excited, too. This is great. Well, okay, first of all, I have to be honest that Sarah and I both want to write books. So before we get into the actual book, we have to ask you, how (laughs) did you run a show and write a book? The mechanics of that we need to know. In fairness, most of the book was written and uh, before I before I was running the show. Okay. So okay, this that's book, comforting. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote. I mean, for you know, the world stopped at the beginning of the pandemic. We were in development on something, but nothing seemed like it was moving. So I had a wide space of time. Also, as as you can imagine, during the beginning of the pandemic, I preferred being in a fictional world I control compared mm. to the real world that I could not control. So I I dove into this book. I was happy to write this book. But you also have a husband and two kids. I mean, it's like yes. you're working, yeah. you have a family. You, all of the things I use as excuses to not write a book. <laughs> and yet somehow you did it. Anyway, well, so I'm just, this is me bowing you. down no, to you. Thank you. No, the kid, and I did, I mean, I'm very proud that I did it around the kids. It wasn't like, I was like, Jonathan, you've got to go watch our children. <laughs> Papa's going to lock himself in an office and write a book. You know, I put them to bed. Jonathan was working on the Billie Eilish documentary, The World's oh, a Little Blurry. Wow. Yeah. And that started as a three-month gig that lasted for two years uh-huh. because she blew up while they were filming her. <laughs> oh, wow. So we put the kids to bed, and he's like, I've got to go do that. 
And so I was like, well, I better find something for myself to do. And so I, I dove into the book. Was this an idea that had been percolating? So it's it's written as a memoir from the point of view of a young Black gay man coming to age in the 80s in New York and becoming this amazing activist. Was this an idea you had, like, percolating for a long time? Or, or was this something that you came up with during the pandemic? I had, it had been percolating for years. I Because, okay. you know, look, I'm black and gay. So I things I think about is, are like, well, what would I have done during the civil rights movement? Who would I have been on that spectrum of politics? And same in terms of, you know, the gay rights movement and, and the fight against AIDS. So I, you know, you, I sort of wondered about that and imagined those scenarios for years and years and years. And honestly, when it came time to do this book, there's a lot of research that did go into it. But it wasn't as hard as I think sometimes people think, because it felt like I'd been preparing to write this book most of my life. One of the things I loved, you mentioned the references. I absolutely loved the footnotes. I felt like it just added a whole other element to the book. And I was like learning things as well as just like enjoying myself, you know? Was that part of the idea? Did you want people to also be educated as they're reading? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was sort of a good benefit. The problem that I was finding was, as I was writing the book, the people in the story would have a shorthand that wouldn't, it wouldn't be natural to, to sort of right. have to explain all the things that they would just know about. So I just put it in footnotes. Because I also, sometimes when I'm reading a book and someone explains something to me, I'm like, oh, that's for another audience. That's, you, you, you didn't actually write this book for me. And I didn't want people to feel insulted. Like, if you know it, keep going. But if you uh. are like, I don't know this, there's something to help you at the bottom of the page. Clearly, as it turns out, there's as much of a need for activism now as there was in the 80s. Was that sort of an intentional thing? Were you wanting to put it in the 80s sort of in order to comment on today? There were a lot of similarities. I mean, what I like about any movement, whether it's the civil rights movement, the, the women's movement, uh, Black Lives Matter, you find a lot of times that people at the forefront are very young. Mm. And and don't actually know what they're doing. They're responding to something immediate and a larger strategy emerges. And that's okay. I felt like at the time while I was writing this book, you know, Black Lives Matters was taking a lot of criticism for like, well, what's their plan? What's their I'm like, guys, that's not how these things, that's not how they start. You know? <laughs> I mean, everybody has to remember the civil rights movement in a lot of ways began with a bus boycott. That's very local. Right. That's very small. And it, then it becomes a, you know, a, a civil rights bill later. Uh, but you've kind of got to go through that period. Um, so, yeah, no, I think, I mean, I was, there were parallels I absolutely wanted to play when it came around just activism and letting young people know that it's all right, that you don't have it all figured out. Well, and there's also an element of what you said earlier, which is who do you want to be in this moment? There's a bit of a challenge. Like, who do we all want to be in this moment? And we all have very different roles to play. When I was young and in D.C. in my, my, my activist days then, I was very willing to go to a protest and get arrested. Mm. Getting arrested doesn't work for me right now. Right. Not with two small children at home. <laughs> but you know what I do have that I didn't have then? I've got money. So I can, I can write checks. I can sort of organize things in a way that I couldn't before. All these roles are important. I mean, it's really like bring what you've got 
just so long as you show up. Rashid, I'm sure you're going to get this question many times as the book comes out. So Trey, uh, your main character is, you know, he's young, he's moved to New York, he's finding himself, he becomes one of the founding members of ACT UP. What do you think Trey's future holds for him? Do you have this Mm -hmm. vision of where he is in 30 years? I think he survives it. So that makes me, I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm hoping okay. the memoir says, is that he's able to, to live to, to tell this story. I think, it, I think it's devastating. I think everybody who went through that, it's like, it's like surviving a war. It's not unusual for someone in Trey's age and circle to lose dozens of friends through the AIDS crisis. And it, it scars a great many of them. So, I, I mean, I wanted to leave the book where I left it before I felt like, I think it gets darker for him. I think he gets through it, mm. but I didn't want the book to go that dark. Well, it's interesting because one element of the book is that it's also really a story of healing from a tragic event that happened in his childhood that I won't go into because people will read it. But it ends sort of, I find, on a hopeful note in terms of his personal life. You know, I think he finds for himself He's able to forgive himself. I think he's also found meaning in his life in a way that that gives him a sense of purpose and and hope. Yeah, it was really beautiful. I'm writing, you write this book and it's about a young man coming of age during the AIDS crisis. And I just want to stress to people that it's not a depressing book. That even as he goes through this, he's able to have joy and sex and laughs which is something I actually think is great about the Black community and the African-American community. Like, no matter how much we've been oppressed, you know, we did happen to also, like, invent jazz. Like, we find ways to uh-huh. steal joy and and happiness in a, in a very cruel world. Yeah. Now, the book, aside from all of the education and how powerful it is, it's just incredibly entertaining to follow his journey. I mean, there's nothing more entertaining than a young person in New York, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That is your favorite thing. It is my favorite thing, because I wish I could go back again and be a young person in New York. And I just want to ask you this question, Rashid. So you go through sort of the founding of ACT UP, which was Larry Kramer's organization. Do you have inside knowledge that it started that way, or was that your imagination? The story about like Nora Ephron and Larry going there and giving that speech, that all happened. So that that part is okay, real. That is the, amazing. The part, the part at Larry's apartment, I've I've made up. But though you hear stories, like it's hard to nail down. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things now because right. first of all, there are a lot of people who were, of course, involved and did great work. But as it took shape and history has happened, suddenly more people will tell you that they were there at the beginning that could possibly have been there at the beginning. So sourcing down <laughs> some of that is really is really tough. But I, what I felt good is, like, I think it's true to the spirit of what happened. That was one of my favorite parts of the book, is just witnessing something like that through this character. Okay, Rashid, switching gears a little bit, how hard is it for you to switch gears from show running to novel writing and novel writing to show running? And are you doing it again? Is there a new book coming up? I am working on a new book uh, set in a different time period, different city, mm. but the same sort of research, also just following like a gay black man in a different era, which I think ups the stakes. It was hard to switch back and forth, but it was also nice to have, like in publishing, 
they don't dare change a word without your permission. Right. My editor gave me notes a year and a half before the publication date. And she said, now, if you find this is too much and we need to move the publication date, you just let us know and we can do that for you. And nothing like that. I work in TV. No, that was like, I was like, there's. Well, yeah, I was like, I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss a deadline. Like, I'm just not going. That will not happen. Yes, but there was just a lot more. They were so accommodating in the publishing world, and in before every note, there well, would be an apology, which I just you know adored. Yeah, they're so nice. I mean, it, it's a nicer, gentler environment than television, which tends to be extremely, uh, what would you say, strident or just no holds barred. I don't know. <laughs> We've all got tough skin from writing TV. Well, we never have enough time. Right. We, yeah. I mean, they were giving you the note this morning and they would like to see a draft probably within 24 hours. And publishing, there's just all this time. Like, like this idea that we're giving you this note and you take the next month or so to just consider the note before you even start writing. It's just insanity to yeah. a television writer. We don't need time for that. <laughs> I've been on a notes call with the script open, changing it as I got the notes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Knowing that it's shooting tomorrow or, or in three hours. Okay, now, Rashid, because we have you here, you are part of a team with TJ Brady. We're obviously a team. People ask us all the time, why does our partnership work? I am so curious what your answer is about you and TJ, why your partnership works. I think it works because we have a really healthy dynamic that gets the work done, but we also look after each other. We are in a classic older brother, younger brother situation, and TJ is the older brother. So he's uh, a little more decisive, more likely to say, I think we should head in this direction. I'm, I would say, probably comparatively more laid back and sort of happy to just say, well, let's, let's see where it takes us. We There are a lot of things. We have the same story sensibility, but we also have different skill mm. sets so we can divide up. By the time we get to post, I am absolutely bored with the episode. I can't believe we're still talking mm. about it. I can't believe we have to still work <laughs> on it. I, I want someone to just please tell me it's done. TJ loves post. Conversely, TJ does not ever in his life want to be bo- bothered with the story area. He, his, he, he will point out mm. the story areas almost never resemble the script. Uh, he's like, why are we doing this? We're putting a lot of effort into it. Where is it going? Like, he, it just is madness to him. I'm, I'm, I'm much more comfortable taking that ride. And I actually do believe that there are a lot of times there's something that may fall out of a story area that will save you at two in the morning when you're doing the third draft of the script. So I want to be, ah. I want to be part of that entire thing so I've got all that information at my disposal as we kind of come into it. So there's there's a natural divide in our in our attention spans that has helped helped us uh, run this show. Well, and we also have to give you a huge congratulations because you're running Bel Air on Peacock. It's a huge hit. Yes, people absolutely love the show, which is so exciting. Were you fans of the original Fresh Prince? Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody, we were fans of the original Fresh Prince. Everybody who, like, worked on the show. Like, if you didn't start, you know, with that, you probably didn't get hired. Right. Um, I mean, you know, so that that was something I think everybody brought to the table. 
I think it helped us tremendously. I know fans were very worried that we were going to ruin their childhoods by 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 doing a disservice to this show. But I was never worried about that because I was like, well, everybody on the show loves it. Like, we don't want to mess it up. Mm. So, I mean, we are also right. fans. That was very much our approach to Fantasy Island, too. It's like, no, we love this. We don't want to fuck it up. No. Yeah, you no. want the spirit... And I think what you guys have done of, you know, making it an hour drama works beautifully. Yeah. As does everyone else, because it's the number one show on Peacock. It is. It's, 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 it's the number one show, and we're really proud of it, and we're happy to be back for a second season. Okay, Rashid, what is your advice for young, aspiring writers? I mean, I'm sure you have loads of advice, but if you wanted to pick one thing— what would you tell people? I try, and this is this is easier to say than to do. I try to remind people that you can't actually co- control and direct your career. Like your best bet is mm. to take take the best of the available work, try to be nice to people, and just sort of stay open to where it carries you. When you look at TJ and my career, it it makes no sense. Like these the shows we've been on mm-hmm. almost have nothing in common. And you, it's hard to see how one links to the other. They link one to the other normally through the people we met and the relationships we made. Oh, right. And that's that's how, you know, we, we were on, you know, uh, Army Wives for several seasons and Army Wives ends. And the two of you are on the 100 and say, do you want to come over to the 100? How you go from a sort of family drama on Lifetime to a sci-fi genre show on the CW that, you know, there's no, that, that only happens because of the people you know. Of course, we met you on Lie to Me, which was a procedural scientific <laughs> show. <laughs> yes. And we, and even if we, we were not smart enough or calculating enough to go, oh, well, we need to be nice to them because five years later, they'll have this other show that they'll want us to work on. Right. You know, you can't plot that out. So just sort of try to do the best you can with what's in front of you. And at this point, I try not to worry. I must say, I picked this up from my husband who works in reality television and documentaries, everybody on that side, they just sort of, when, the, when they're done with the gig, they take a month off. And then when they're ready to work, it's like they just walk out to the curb and put their hand in the air, knowing that another vehicle will pull over for them. And I was like, oh, I guess you could just, you could, you could worry about it and do that. Or you could relax and do that. Right. I feel like we have spent the last 15 years trying to embrace that philosophy, and it is not Often failing. I think we're getting better at it, but I love that metaphor. And I think, Sarah, we should, with each other, use that metaphor to encourage each other to wait until it's time to go to the curb. Yeah, Yeah. you've always got to kind of go back to the job market and- you can, I mean, there, there's there's no benefit to having anxiety when you go back to the job market. Just go out there and see what's there. You know, what it, it, your anxiety doesn't actually improve the options coming your way. So true. All right. So this ended up being advice for us as much as advice for you and writers. <laughs> Thanks, Rashid. <laughs> Thank you, Rashid. All right. Coming up, Rashid is going to come back with a Hollywood hack. But first, this break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, it's time for this week's Hollywood Hack. We asked Rashid to stay and share a hack this week. He has a really great idea for Zoom self-control. We love this. Yeah, my problem is I want to respond to everything I'm hearing in a notes call. So if someone points out something that isn't uh, factually true, they're, they're mistaken about the story, or they've contradicted something we've already set up, I like to, in a way that I thought was helpful, point out that they are wrong. This has not <laughs> always made me popular. It has not always helped relationships. And it's, and, but yet it's hard for me to stop doing. I am a gay Black man with an expressive face. It is hard for me to suppress my feelings at this point in life. So what I've learned to do on the Zoom is put myself on mute and make the screen smaller so it's just sort of a little square in the upper corner. And then I pull up something else on my screen that I can read or an email I need to respond to. I'm still half listening. And as my therapist pointed out, half listening is is good enough because I'm following Mm -hmm. and getting the information but I'm not so triggered that I'm responding or trying to interject myself while the other person is talking. And even if I wanted to, because that does happen, I will hear something that really gets my blood going. I've got to enlarge the other screen and take myself off mute to get back in the conversation. And by then, the moment has passed. (laughs) This is so smart. I think, Sarah, we have to employ this hack. Oh, absolutely. It's so hard not to be reactive on these Zooms where, especially because often, as we've talked about, our job is taking criticism and and you often want to defend yourself against criticism. And if you just create those couple barriers to doing it, you're right. The moment passes. And it's like, you don't have to respond to everything. And it makes your life easier not to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will even say like, if, and it hasn't happened yet, but if someone even said to me, oh, Rashid, like, are you reading something or whatever? I would say, oh, no, I'm sorry. I just have to respond to this email from the line producer, but I'm listening. Like you can, you can sort of cop to the fact that maybe you're not giving it 100% of your attention all the time. But I, honest to goodness, most people will not call you on it. Because while they're talking, they're focusing on what they're saying and not so much you. And most people on a Zoom are also doing something else. I mean, we all know it's true. (laughs) And usually looking at themselves. I mean, we're all like looking at ourselves and critiquing our backgrounds and our double chins. So it's like, you know. No, nobody's policing you that hard. Yeah, right. It's true. Great hack. Minimize your Zoom screen and put yourself on mute as you... Pull up something else that needs your attention on the rest of your screen. Great hack, Rashid. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and welcome. Rashid, thank you so much for being here. Love talking to you. Want to remind everyone again that you can pre-order Rashid's book, My Government Means to Kill Me, which is such a great title. We didn't even talk about the title. And it comes out August 23rd. Thanks, Rashid. Thank you. This is great. 
And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please follow us if you haven't already. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, king of remote recording, and thanks to everyone at Sankola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sankola Sound. Thank you to our guest, Rasheed Newsom. Pre-order his book, My Government Means to Kill Me, wherever you buy books. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts. Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing with Whole 30s Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Kraft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. (laughs) Wait, my dogs are barking. Sorry, Chuck. I don't know what's going on. I have something else to say, but I don't know if I should because of these damn dogs. Um, uh, what the? That was hell? so funny. We were on this panel the other day, and they were like, "Turn off this! Turn off that! Don't do this!" If you, you know, like, make sure there are no sounds in the background. And Liz was like, "I just have to say, I have these dogs, and no matter where they are in the house, you can hear them. So if they yeah. bark, I, they're like, there's nothing I can do." I know, that was crazy. From the Onward Project.